Welcome to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. You're now joining us for part three of our discussion of limited atonement. And I guess we probably should go to John 17 while we're here. Okay. Um, and it's John 17, 9. This is in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Christ. Um, he's praying for the disciples, and I would argue uh, by extension for the church, and he's talking about all those that God has given him. All you know, Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. Um, and in verse 9 he says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. I realize this doesn't have direct application to the atonement, but there doesn't seem to be any problem in Jesus' mind with differentiating between I'm doing a positive action for these who are mine, and I'm not extending that same positive action to those who aren't. Yeah, and he talks about raising up all that the, that the Father gave him mm-hmm. and not losing any of them. Yeah. So it's clearly he has his people in mind, those that will choose him. And you find that in John chapter 6, yeah. primarily. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so the, that's kind of, I mean, we could go, I think there, we could find other verses, but... I think we've generally stated uh, our case for the positively. So let's deal with some of the objections. And let's start with um, some scripture objections. So one that we hear a lot comes from 1 John 2, 1 through 3. And um, you know, I think 2, 2 is the main um, Yeah. The main verse, yeah. Um, but you've got some notes on that, and you've done some Greek work. So why don't you uh, walk us through that a little bit? I, I, we need to say from the outset, I am not a Greek scholar, <laughs> but I am. Yes, and Hebrew. I am. Yeah, not either. So. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> um, I, I have been doing self training for a few years, and First John happens to be pretty easy Greek, so I, I think that I can. Uh, use my little skills that I have here. But um, yeah, so I'll just read First John 2. You got down here 1 through 3. Well, it's kind of the whole but, introduction, but you, you know, if you want to just. I'll read. just read the paragraph. How about there that? There you go. Um, so it's 1 through 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And then at the end there, the walking is a throwback to chapter 1, talking about us walking in darkness versus walking in the light. Um, So yeah, my first point here is this passage is not talking about atonement as its primary theme. And it seems to me that a rather common theme with kind of the big three, 1 John 2, 2, 2 Peter 3, 9, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, is they're, they're comments that are made in passing that aren't the main point of the passage 
and they're they're kind of grasped on by Arminians or unlimited atonement folks and say, see, these things have to be read the way that we would. And they take basically one little verse in the middle of a paragraph that just doesn't really, the, the paragraph's not talking about atonement. So first of all, this is related to my point earlier. I would not go here to form my doctrine of the extent or intent of the atonement. That said, I do have some comments on why I don't think this says what they think it says. Um, first of all, Jesus is said to be the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. And you want to tell them that I'm doing air quotes? Yeah, because if you're watching the video, you can see the air quotes. But okay. if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see the air quotes. Right. And so that said that that, that, that all, the sins of the whole world, means everybody. Well, mm-hmm. um, you and I would argue that if that's true, universalism is true. Yes, given our given our understanding of atonement, because because if you have to start splitting hairs between intent, extent, and applica- and application, which we we kind of already discussed, um, I don't see how an eternal God can pay for the sins of the whole world without actually paying for them. Without actually paying for them. Now, um, Tim says that that we're missing this because we are thinking of this sin debt as commercial debt, but it's not a commercial debt like someone's credit card bill, but it's legal and moral debt. Well, even, I, I don't know what moral debt is. Uh, I mean, I, I do know what it is, but it's not like there's a definition of it or I can go out and find it. But legally, there are actually provisions. I mean, Chuck Colson was one who, before he became a believer, or as he was becoming a believer, he was caught up in the... Um, Nixon scandal mm-hmm. and went to prison and because of his poor health they were praying somehow he could get out because he needed some treatments I don't know all the details you all may know but a believing brother actually came in and served the rest of his sentence because of a little known law where he was and served his legal debt for him hmm. now would it make sense for Chuck Colson and that guy to both have to serve the rest of that debt no um, so I don't I don't get the distinction that Tim Barnett's making between Tim or anyone who's listening to this. I'm, if you've got something, yeah, with right? Like Tim Barnett's <laughs> going to be listening. <laughs> he might be. Okay. You know, okay. We did graduate from SES on the same day, but he wasn't he wasn't there. Okay. So yeah, he's a fellow SES graduate. All right. Um, but yeah, so if there is some distinction, like hey, clearly you've missed it. There's a distinction between commercial and legal debt. I'm I'm open to hearing that, but I. I don't. A debt is a debt. Once it's paid, you know, Jesus said to telestai, it is finished in English. But paid in full was the proper or the, the common uh, inference from that. He paid a debt in full, not in partial or not in potential, but in full. Yeah. So. Um, and then, so another part that I want to point out is I think. It's unfortunate that many of our English translations make this verse sound stronger than it actually is. Um, so in two two, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now that's in my ESV. You've got an NAS there, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The sins of is in italics, isn't it? So it says, and he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the whole world. And okay. what I what I skipped over is those of. Right. 
because those of is written there, but it's in italics. Let me know that it wasn't in the original Greek. It was added right. as a help. Right. And I don't think that actually helps in this case because I think what he's saying is, um, yes, by implication, the propitiation for the whole world would involve their sins. But I think the, the point that's here is we have an advocate. Christ is our advocate. We, we are saved, but it's not just our own little group. This gospel is for the whole world. It goes out to all tribes, tongues, peoples, and nations. It goes out across the whole world, not in an individualistic sense, but in the sense of it's not an us versus them mentality. The, the, the gospel is for everybody. And again, not in an individual sense, but just it, you, it, it's a general, it's, it's not limited to Israel. It's not limited to white people. It's not limited to men. I mean, it's, all of those distinctions break down in the gospel, and the gospel goes out to all kinds of people. And so I think that's the, you know, one point that I want to make is just, you might go, well, gosh, he's the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. John said it. Okay, well, this is why it's good to read multiple translations and see. Um, so I was wanting to comment on that. So uh, in, in doing the study work, I was reminded of um, Lydia, one of my daughters, when she was probably three. We had just watched Incredibles or watched it again. And we had this app called Songify. A lot of extraneous details. <laughs> but you could speak something in there and would make a sound out of it. And she spoke in there, who's the girl who saves the world it's me, Violet Forcefield. If you're familiar with Incredibles. Um, good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie, and Violet creates a force field, and she, she liked Violet. And so I was thinking about Violet or superhero saving the world and how we might use that language along with how Christ saves the world or Christ is propitiation for the world. And... Um, especially with the latest, I, I haven't watched them, but I, I'm told there's a Superman movie where Batman gets mad because in saving the world, he actually kills people. Right. And so when we say the superhero saves the whole world. Not from the perspective of the people he killed. Right. Yeah. So I think we're pushing language beyond what's necessarily meant. Mm -hmm. And in my search for this negative inference fallacy, there is another fallacy that I was, I was going through. I was like, well, maybe I'm just missing it. So I just read through all the Wikipedia fallacies that were there, skimmed over them. And this one goes by a couple different names. I especially liked the bald man fa fallacy. I don't know why I would have been drawn to that. Can't imagine. <laughs> but would you say that I'm bald, Michael? I told you I was going to ask you this. I know you did. I didn't <laughs> want to do this on camera. Yes, I would say you're bald. But... How can you say that? I have hair. There's definitely hair on my head, right? I'm not arguing this one too far. <laughs> so the bald man fa uh, fallacy is that you're... It, obviously, the, there's people at my work, because I was, I was thinking about this throughout the week, and I was like, man, that guy is totally bald. This guy is mostly bald. I'm hopefully somewhat bald, because uh, I still do have more hair than, than some or most. And the bald man fallacy is pushing a statement beyond what it means to mean every particular. When we say a person is bald, we don't mean that every single hair is off the person's head. We mean that he's bald. We all know what that means. Another right. one was the fallacy of the heap, another name for this fallacy. 
I think that's what's going on here. Like how many grains of sand do you have a heap or something like that? Yeah, like, well, that's, you know, let's, I think it was like, you need to sweep that heap of sand up or you need to move that heap of grain. And you wouldn't say, you know, like, if there were a couple specks here and there, you wouldn't say, you didn't, I told you to move that heap of sand and there, I found five grains of sand left there. Well, Clearly, you didn't mean yeah. that. There, there, there can be exceptions to this rule, even though you spoke in this universal category, which is what I think is going on here. The, the intent is that Jesus is, we would say Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the one that it's given us the sacrifice. You know, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, how can you neglect so great a salvation? Mm-hmm. We, I think we can arm in arm say, yes, Jesus is the Savior of the world. That doesn't mean that he saves or propitiates for everyone's sin right it just means he is the one and only savior of the world right which leads into john 129 the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and i think we would say yes but not all of the individuals of the world just like superman saved the world but zod and superman were both responsible for some deaths in the meantime that doesn't invalidate the statement Right. right it you have to go to the original intent of what was being said. So before we get off First John, I do want to, I would be remiss if we didn't uh, give one objection they have. So if you turn to First John 5, this is what I was looking for while you were reading. So it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention to you. It's just I was also looking for this verse. So First John 5, um, 18 we know that one who was born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And so the, the point that we have here, made by the Unlimited Atonement folks, is the whole world that we see in First John 2, same exact Greek words as First John 5, and if the whole world, every single person, is under the power of the evil one in 519, then it just stands a reason that we should, you know, we should be consistent with our interpretation of Scripture. We should also say that all of the sins of the whole world are covered in uh, 2.2. Yeah. Um, and the problem with that understanding of whole world in 19 is it violates the understanding of verse 18 uh, because how can the evil one not be touching those who are under his power if the whole world means individuals? Say that again. Well, in verse 18 it says, he who was born of God um, protects him and the evil one does not touch him. So you have people being protected by God and in the next verse you have the whole world in the power of the evil one. So if that's all individuals being in the power of the evil one, then that leaves nobody that could be protected by God from verse 8. So it just, it, if you press it too far, all of a sudden it just, it's absurd and doesn't make sense. And you have to say that John was crazy or something. And I would rather say, no, John knew what he was talking about and we need to harmonize it so that it makes sense. And it's pretty easy. The whole world is just a generic whole world, not an individual particular whole world. And you would say that's the case for 2 and 5. Correct. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're being consistent. Um, we're, we're saying in a generic sense, in a, in a very broad sense, Jesus covered the sins of the whole world. 
uh, just like the whole world is under the evil one's power, even though there are going to be exceptions to that, namely the elect. Or, yeah, well, and, I mean, and, there, and there's other times in Scripture where you maybe have, not namely the elect, because you could have someone who's elect getting pounded by Satan because God allows them. It's a different topic. But I mean, you've got others where I think it's early on in Acts. You have the Pharisees talking and. You know, all Jerusalem is going out to hear or is following Christ or something. And they're part of Jerusalem. So it clearly, they're, they're not reporting on their own conversion, right? It's, it's sometimes all and everybody, and it's particular. Sometimes it's hyperbolic. Sometimes it's generic. And I, I feel like the Arminians tend to go to these verses that say all in the context of atonement and go, it has to be particular, but that's not how we read the other stuff. And so I, I, I just want to be consistent. Right. And, um, and again, you're dealing with a passage there that's not even dealing with atonement primarily. So let's find better passages to actually talk about that. All right. Um, move, move on to Second Peter 2.1. Yeah, I think this one's all you. All me? Yep. Okay. Let me... Uh, Hebrews, James... First and second Peter. We just passed it. It's first Peter. Oh yeah. Sorry. Alright, uh Second Peter one. Two. Pardon me. Second Peter two one. This can't be the verse that that I have. Yeah, the master who bought them. Oh, okay. Oh, thank you. This is not the verse I was thinking of. See, we're doing it live, folks. <laughs> <laughs> were you thinking about three nine? Um, Slow. Yes, that's three nine. Yes. All right. Uh, but we can we can deal with this one because this was one that was listed by um, David Allen, um, so we can address it. Uh, but so this is two one. But false prophets prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. All right. So what we have here, seemingly, that uh, they're going to be false teachers, and that they're going to introduce secret destruct- destructive heresies. So similar to what we find in Jude, uh, a lot of similar verses, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So if we take that last phrase, denying the master who bought them, it seems as though, well, if Jesus bought them, then they're, they're covered, they're, they're atoned for. Um, so again, Is Peter's focus here the atonement? No. No. It's false teachers. It's false teachers. And they're thriving or showing up in the church. Jude talks about, you know, all that, you know, they were actually set aside for destruction before the foundation of the world, is what Jude would say. Mm-hmm. Um, that that this condemnation was on them forever. So that would be a if we looked at the parallel passage, we would see Wow, this is uh, how could God have paid for their sins? Christ had paid for their sins if they were set apart for this destruction. You finding that reference for me? Yep. Keep going. 
Okay. And so I, I think, again, in the general sense, just like Jesus died for the whole world, Jesus took away the sins of the world. Here's the, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, the same way we could say Christ bought us all. He redeemed humanity. And here are these guys in the church acting like they're one of the sheep. And yet they turn out to be wolves. They turn out to be, you know, Jude would say, uh, trees without fruit, clouds without rain, all of these metaphors for these apostates. And they're denying their only Lord and master is what Jude would say. Um, So I think it's clear that we're talking about people who have been in the church, kind of know what's going on and yet turn and now produce false doctrine. This is not a passage on the atonement. Um, so we shouldn't press those verses into some wooden understanding of what he's saying. So Jude 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So I think they're talking about the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least the same category. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, if you isolate those one one words, I think it looks like, wow, he must have paid for their sins. Again, we go into all those other issues we already talked about. Are we going to, is the Bible in contradiction with itself? No, mm-hmm. we've got to harmonize it. We're going to help us understand this passage based on both good ph- philosophy and good exegesis of stronger passages. Well, and this is one of those areas, too, where... It would be nice if they had had quotation marks in the original Greek because I think that Peter is saying the master who bought them, right? Because, I mean, these are teachers in the church. Right. So these are people who have had a profession that is at least credible enough in their congregations to get into a seat of authority, into being a teacher. And to do that, they would have had to profess that Christ bought them. They would have had to profess the faith at least well enough, and that would include affirming that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross atoned for their sins. So I, I take this as it's, it's not Peter making an assertion about what was really true in their life. He is simply recounting they, are now, they who say that Christ bought them are now denying him. They're denying the Lord who bought them. So it's... I, I, I think it's a mistake to read this as if Peter is describing this is actually the reality of these people. And right. When, and when you read it as this is what they reported about themselves and kind of implicit in that Peter's going and it's not what's true about them, then there's no difficulty with this passage at all. Right. I agree with you. I think that goes to those word pictures that Jude draws of the same category because you know, if, if you're a farmer and you see that rain cloud and you need rain... It professes to have something, but it doesn't possess it. Um, the trees without fruit, you know, you plant an orchard, you do that for a reason. You want the fruit, but they don't get the fruit. Nope. Um, and then he says it's like, you know, just raging sea foam. The pictures there is like, it's just a bunch of nothing. Like there's no substance to that foam that gets built up. Yeah. There's a... Uh, a preface or a pretense is the word I'm looking for of 
substance, but that sea foam, there's just there's nothing there. You go examine it, and yeah. you got nothing. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for listening to part three of our discussion of limited atonement. Tune in next week for part four. You've been listening to Mike and Mike Theology Plus, the podcast where we talk about all things related to Christian theology. 